as you know, we are in a um, series that, Lord willing, will lead us into Easter on victorious living and what it takes for followers of Christ to really experience victory in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And um, last week we saw how the way to victory was the way through celebration of the King and sanctification by the King and supplication through the King. And uh, this week we want to see how uh, the way to victory is really through a ruthless repentance in our, our lives. And uh, we take as a text um, Jesus' uh, woes that were given to the religious leaders of his day. And uh, we can learn much from this passage in Matthew 23 because it is true, and it has been said here before, that a church can really never rise above its leadership. And uh, the church in the day of Christ uh, could not rise really above uh, the Pharisees and the scribes to whom Jesus directly addresses along with the crowds and his disciples in this passage. So we want to speak about uh, ruthless repentance. And... Um, let us uh, look at the um, passage, but first let us look to God in a word of prayer. Uh, our Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we come to you. We are thankful uh, to you that you have given us uh, Jesus Christ. You have given us the gospel, and um, you have given us uh, uh, your your power of salvation displayed in our life as you have called us uh, by yourself out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we come this morning to look more in depth at Jesus' um, strong and um, uh, in some sense scary communication to the leaders of his day and what he said to them and what we can glean and learn from what he speaks and how he calls us to faith in himself and to experience true uh, victory in our daily living. God, help us, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, make us more like Jesus than we were when we walked in here today. You're able by your spirit and word to bring this about, and we pray that you would for the glory of your name, that you might receive the praise and the worship and the honor and um, we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn our hearts uh, to God's word. I'm going to begin reading uh, Matthew 23 at verse 1. And here Jesus is speaking these words to the crowds who are open to hearing what he has to say. They're not fully committed yet, but, um, but they're open to listening in. And he also speaks to his disciples who are students of his and who have committed themselves. And so let's hear uh, the first portion of this chapter. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat. 
So do and observe whatever uh, they tell you. But do, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi uh, by others. Rabbi uh, means teacher or my great one. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's stop there for a moment and talk about Jesus' calling upon our lives. He calls us to humility. That's what he ends this section uh, at, uh, a calling to humble service. And he begins by speaking to his uh, disciples and to the crowds uh, that um, it is good uh, to listen and learn from the scribes and Pharisees when they sit on Moses' seat. And his point, obviously, is that inasmuch as the scribes and Pharisees correctly exegete and explain the truth that was given to Moses, they've got to obey everything they hear. Um, it's the same thing today. When you hear a, a good sermon that's solid and accurate, it doesn't make a difference who's speaking. You need to listen. and You need to follow whenever God's Word is proclaimed properly. But then he said about the scribes and Pharisees of his day, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They don't follow through. They got the talk, but they don't have the walk. And Jesus says you can't really learn from following them. And, and he gives examples. He says how they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And what Jesus is referring to, obviously, is all of the rules and rules and more rules that the Pharisees and scribes gave people. They gave them all kinds of rules to follow, but they never equipped them on how to actually love God and follow God. They got people so engrossed and so, so fixated on rule-keeping that they, they never really got people to fixate on God and His love and His devotion and his covenant loyalty to his people. That's what drives people uh, to live for God. That's how the commandments of God began. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Look at that love after 400 some years of bondage. And here's the God who visited us and rescued us. And here's 10 ways you can say thank you. 
So, but they never equipped people that way. They just burdened people with rules upon rules. Contrast that with Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He's got a yoke. He's got burdens for us to bear. But Jesus says, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly, gentle and humble in my heart, which points to Jesus' love demonstrated on Calvary. Jesus is saying, this is what you learn from me. You learn Calvary. You learn my grace. You learn how I lay down my life and sacrifice myself for sin, for rebellion. And in view of the cross, in view of sacrificial substitutionary love, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. 1 John in 5, chapter 5 says, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome because we love because He first loved us. When we look in the face of the love of God, we are moved. Paul says, I'm constrained by the love of Christ. I can't help myself but want to live for Christ when I see how Christ lived and died and rose again for me. So, but the Pharisees didn't fixate people on the love of God. They fixated people on rules. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. Make sure you do this. It was all about rules. And so that's why it was a burden. That's why Jesus says, don't do what they do. Um, it doesn't work. And secondly, he says... Uh, there in um, verse 5, he says they do everything they do, they do in order to be seen by others. They do everything in order to be seen by others. Um, do you do things? Speaking to myself as well. Do you do things for the sole purpose of being seen by other people? So that you would be seen as someone who is righteous. Seen as someone who's doing the right thing. And of course this has to be balanced because Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. But that's the whole point. There's the key. That they might see it in such a way that they bring glory to God. But the Pharisees wanted to be seen so they could get the praise, they could get the glory for themselves. It was about self-worship. Um... And, and that's what Jesus is pointing to. He says so in Matthew 6 that they, 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 um, they pray specifically right in the center of the street in the marketplace so that they might be seen. When they give to the poor, they give in such a way so that they can receive praise. They let the whole world know. They sound a trumpet before them. Look how much I'm giving. And Jesus says, don't do it that way. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't even talk to yourself about what you've done right. <laughs> Just do right and keep on getting up. Right? And so he says they do everything to be seen by others. And, and directly related to this is what he says in chapter 15, is that they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. They can honor God with their lips but their heart is dead to God. And related to this is that they love to be honored, it says, in public places. They love the best seats in the house. They love the honorary public greetings. They love to be called, oh, great one, oh, rabbi. And, um, 
and they love uh, the uh, fact of being celebrated. They love to be served. They love to be seen. They love to be celebrated. This is their aim in life. And Jesus says we can learn something from godless, narcissistic focus. Don't do that. Focus on God. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi. And what he's getting at is that that our aim in life is not to be, be called great. Our aim in life is not to be called great because we have one teacher. His name is Jesus. And every single treasure of wisdom and knowledge comes from Jesus. If you know anything that's right, you got it from Jesus. Whether you believe in him, whether you don't believe in him, if you know anything true, you know it because of Jesus. Every single treasure of wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus Christ. He's got it all. Every single treasure. He says, don't be called instructors because you have one instructor who is called Christ. You know, sometimes we get so enamored with what we call the church fathers. You know, I like John Calvin. I have some of his commentaries, you know. And, and sometimes it's not so much John Calvin, sometimes it's the podcast that we listen, listen to. And we think that these guys have the key. Oh, I've got to hear what so-and-so said about something. I have to hear what this one said about this. I've got to read this book because I've got to follow this author. I've got to follow this author. What about Jesus? Every wisdom they have, every knowledge they have, they got it from Jesus. And they, and they, and then, and then, but, but, but we're biblically illiterate. You ask somebody to find Hezekiah 3, 6, and they start flipping the pages looking for it. There is no Hezekiah 3, 6. <laughs> See what I mean? You just got caught. Look for Obadiah. They'd be looking in the New Testament. Sometimes we're biblically illiterate. We don't know what God says. We don't know what Christ says. But we know what the, we know what this podcast says. Guy says, or we know what John Calvin says. We can quote Martin Luther. We can quote C.S. Lewis. But what about Jesus? Jesus says, you have one instructor, but sometimes we don't act like it. <laughs> sometimes we've got, I got, I mean, I don't need to talk. I got a lot of books. <laughs> I don't read them. I just leave, put them out there. They make me look smart. I'm joking. I read some of them. Some of them I'll get to one day. How you doing, though? But you know, You know, we have to get our focus right. And our focus needs to be on sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary and listening to his word. John Calvin has no advantage on you and me. He's not an apostle. He's not a a prophet like Isaiah. He doesn't have a direct line any more than you do. God bless him. I've profited from him. I'm not downing him or anybody else. I'm just saying, what about your time together with God's people around his word, calling on the name of the Lord, asking Jesus to speak through the scripture to you? He'll do it. He actually will. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even dividing asunder the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You sit before God's word. You know? And, and God will speak to you through the Scripture, by the Scripture. Yes, he will. Um, and he says, don't let anyone call you father. 
Now, of course, that doesn't mean the literal sense. You know, if, you, if, if, if the man who is your father, who brought you here, you should call him father, but he's, what he's getting at is that the only one responsible for your new birth, the only one responsible for you being saved, the only one responsible for you being a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ is God the Father who loved you. And you don't behold to nobody else but him. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. He alone deserves the praise and the worship. Because just like uh, he created the world out of nothing, he created you, a new creation, and he had no raw materials to work with. That's why David said, create in me a clean heart. There's nothing in me you have to work with. You've got to speak this thing into existence. And so Jesus says, don't give these high accolades to, uh, to others. Um, give them to Christ alone. And have this humble servant heart. In verse 11 it says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whenever, whoever exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. We've got to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Of all people who had a right to lift his head up with pride, Jesus was the humblest of all. He had all the wisdom, all the knowledge, and yet he was humble, meek and lowly, gentle in his heart. We should be like him. We need that mind, counting other people more significant than ourselves. And secondly, in verses 13, let's look at 13 and uh, through 36. This takes most of the chapter here. But, but Jesus moves from uh, in verse 12, he moves from the, the general description of what the scribes and Pharisees were doing wrong to more specifics uh, about their patterns of behavior. Um, let's, let's look at these, these words, and these are very chilling words. Hear them uh, clearly. In verse 13, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind gods, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that, makes, that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything in it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neither, and neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate 
but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others." But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of whom you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Well, that's enough to keep you up at night. Those are some chilling words. And, and Jesus is speaking, obviously, to the Terminus generation, this generation of the first century. And there was something unique about that generation and what they did with, with Jesus Christ when he showed up. But there are principles that we can glean from this talk of Christ that speak to our own uh, approach to God and our approach to ministry. And um, you can sum up some of these, uh, these woes. Uh, there are seven woes. And woe is the opposite of like the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man. Uh, which, which means uh, to be highly envied is this man who is blessed. Uh, but, but the man he says woe to is the person to be avoided like the plague. And um, uh, six times uh, he says, hypocrites. Hypocrites are actors on a stage. Uh, they're putting on a show. They're pretending. You know, the Oscars are next week. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, there are some people in this group here who have some Oscar-worthy acting when it comes to their spiritual living. And, uh, and five times he, he uses the term blind to, to show their, their spiritual uh, they, they just don't have the perception spiritually to know what it means to walk in faithful covenant communion with God. And there are things that we can glean. There's a reason why Jesus said this to the Pharisees and scribes in the hearing of his disciples and in the hearing of the crowds to expose the error, and we need to do that as well. Jesus is calling these people to a ruthless repentance in their life, and he calls us to the same. The first of these, uh, the first two of these woes deal with discipling others. The, the next two deal with directing others. The next two deal with deceiving others. And the last one deals with deceiving ourselves. And uh, he, he begins by saying, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because they shut the kingdom of God to people. And the way they shut the kingdom of God is, that they're they're, 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 the way is because they are ineffected. They're unaffected, rather. They're unaffected themselves. They don't enter in themselves. There's no change in their own life. And because of them being unaffected by the, by the gospel, unaffected by the word of God, they're ineffective in terms of bearing witness to the truth of God. 
And he builds on that the next woe by saying that when they, when they go, they go way out of their way to make a disciple, and then when they make a disciple, they're twice as much a child of hell as they are. And, and what he's getting at uh, with this, this language of, of a ch- twice the son of hell, if you remember the last woe, he says, how will you escape going to hell? And he calls them brood of vipers and sons of Satan. And that should take us back to Matthew 3, where John John the baptizer used the same language. And the reason he called them a brood of vipers, the reason he said that they were bound for hell, is because there's a refusal to repent. They just don't think they need to change. They think everything's okay with them. I'm okay. I'm better than the next guy. I'm just as good as this one. There's no real need for change in my heart. A failure to repent. A failure. See, that's the whole thing. We compare ourselves with other people. Sure, we can look good better than a lot of people. Compare yourself to Jesus. That's the key. It's in his image that we've been created. Compare yourself to Jesus. That's who you're supposed to look like. That's who I'm supposed to look like. And when we compare ourselves to Christ, we fall way short. We're under the floor. We just don't measure up at all. You know, and that's who we need to compare ourselves to. Um, and so there is this this failure to approach uh, 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 the, the thing in the right way. Um, uh, the Bible says that, that they, are, they are untouched, unchanged in themselves. Remember what it said in Romans chapter 2, um, verse, uh, uh, I believe, 20. I'm turning there, so I'll get to it. Romans 2, it says in... Um, uh, uh, verse 17... Uh, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve of what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children, having in the law an embodiment of the knowledge of truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. And then it says, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so the question that comes to us in principle is, does our life and the way we live life uh, show that we have been redeemed? Someone one time told me, um, a friend of mine who is from Nairobi, Kenya, he told me, he said, people will believe your Redeemer, when they see your redeemed life, when they see a change in your own life, that's when the the light bulb goes off for them. Um, And so Jesus condemns their behavior uh, because they have this zeal, but they don't think there's a need to change. Listen to these verses here from, from Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, uh, beginning at verse... um, Verse 18, he says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of the nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who when he hears the words of the sworn covenant blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. I will be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. No repentance. 
the Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. The jealousy and the anger of the Lord will smoke against that man who says, I'm okay, and yet still walks in the stubbornness of their heart. No repentance. That's what Jesus is condemning. Woe to these scribes and Pharisees. Let's learn the lesson, not follow through. Let's be ruthless in terms of repentance. Call sin a sin and cry out to Jesus for forgiveness. Then he goes on in the next two, talking about how they, um, they, they're directing others is wrong. He says those who tell people, if you swear by the temple, it doesn't mean anything. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, well, now you're bound by your oath. And if you swear by the altar, it doesn't mean anything. But if you swear by the gift of the altar, well, now you're bound. And so what he's teaching people is he, and what the Pharisees typically did is that they would take the limits of the law and they would extend them. They would flex them and say, you're okay. You don't have to worry about it. It's okay. It's, uh, God's not that serious about what he says. Just as long as you get, get things right after a while, it's okay. And so they, they would, they would, they would, what they would do is that they would decrease, decrease a person's obligation to God's law by adding qualifications to God's commands. Listen to what God said about his uh, law and about our words, because that's essentially what they're saying, is that your, your words don't really matter. But God says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Imagine that. I mean, this is the way that Pharisees told people to live their lives and direct their lives. Imagine if you got up to marry somebody and you said, um, uh, did they say, well, do you take this woman? Well, sort of, yeah, I will. You know, from time to time, I will take her and she'll, he'll take me and we'll be okay after a while. No, it's a vow before God. And, 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 and what the Pharisees are saying is to lessen the blow. It's not that big of a deal. God's word is not that big of a deal. The, the limits of his law, they can be flexed. You know, we can make up for, for lost time. And, and what God is, what Jesus says is, by your words, you'll be condemned. And by your words, you'll be justified. My mother used to tell me, let your words be short and sweet, because one day you're going to eat them. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes I did. Um, and still do sometimes. But, they, but the point is, is that they lessened the impact of God's law, and by doing that, they blinded people from seeing the depth of their depravity and the urgency of repentance and the desperate need for redemption. And so if you keep moving God's law over, and say, you can keep it. Oh, you didn't keep it there. Okay, let's move it over a little bit. If you keep on flexing, you never really see how sinful you are. You never see how broken you are. And, and what we need to be is ruthless, and God's law is unbending. It doesn't bend. It doesn't flex. He says, do this. You do it. You haven't done it. You're wrong. You sin. You're under his curse. You're under his wrath, and you need redemption. And so God wants us to see the, the law of God grabs us by the scruff of the neck and forces us to look in the mirror and say, look at this mess. Look at it. And now run. The mirror sends you to the cross. 
Run to Jesus. Stop, stop trying to pretend everything's okay, everything's all right, and that the sin's not really a big deal. We're all sinners. Everybody's like this. Yeah, but everybody is, not, everybody is like that, and that's why Jesus came. So that everybody and anybody could run to Calvary and get washed and get cleansed. God's law doesn't flex. It doesn't bend. You might go to yoga class and you might flex, but God's law doesn't flex. It doesn't move. And when you break it, it breaks you. And the best thing to do is not try to say, oh, let's just justify it. Let's just excuse it. Let's just make up some kind of some, something to say about it. And instead of saying, I have sinned, I broke the law, Jesus saved me. That's what we need to do. There needs to be a zeal in that, with that respect. Next, they major in the minors. They major in the minors. They, they, they tithe the dill, they tithe the cumin, they tithe the mint, but they, they, they neglect justice and mercy and faithfulness. And what's going on here is that justice, mercy, and faithfulness are at the heart of God the very character of God. God has called us to be like himself. And, 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 and so in being like himself, we learn to tithe. When you tithe, uh, it, it's, it's a way of saying to God, you own all of it. I'm giving you a part of it to remind myself that it all belongs to you anyway. And so give me the character to know what to do with the rest of it. And see, it's like, you know, it's like you pay your pay your heating bill, but you, you turn a thermostat down. People are still freezing in the house. You know? You pay your, you pay your, your gas bill and you turn the hot water heater on. You know, you, you paid the tithe. You've given what you had to give, but then you don't extend and generously give the rest away in acts of justice, acts of mercy, acts of faithfulness to God and His covenant. And so... Um, it's, it's about loving people. It's about loving God and loving the people He's put in your life and making that the point. And then He, he goes up, He goes on the next two, two here, the next woes. He talks about how they're hypocritical and that they clean up the outside. They can clean up the outside, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. And then they're like whitewashed tombs and they look beautiful to people, but they're full of dead men's bones. You know, it's, you know, it's easy to clean up on the outside. You know, you just, you know, you can put on the happy face and put on the Christian talk and the Christian walk. Uh, but inside, what's going on inside? We can look polite and look nice and deal with people in a gentle way. But what's going on inside? You know, it's like going to the gym. And, and after you've been in there for an hour and you're covered with sweat, and, and then you just you, you walk right past the showers and just spray cologne or perfume on yourself and start dealing with people, you know? You stink, you know what I mean? Don't try to cover this stuff up, you know? You got to deal with it. You got to hit the showers. You got to get washed. You know what I mean? Remember, you remember that commercial, the dial commercial, where the guy goes to the gym and he's just, just done and he takes a towel and rubs his arms and puts it up on the hook and then another guy comes out the shower and takes the towel and puts it right on his face. And then they stop it and say, you're not as clean as you think. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying about these people. They're not as clean as they think. We think sometimes we can clean up the outside and look good on the inside, but we, we've got to look good on the inside. You know, it's like, it's like instead of drinking Gatorade, you drink formaldehyde. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way, you know? You're going to kill yourself. In order to get clean on the outside, we've got to get clean on the inside. We've got to get washed. Got to get rid of hypocrisy. 
lawlessness, not caring about the law of God. Um, we need to be uh, full of hatred for what is evil and full of love for what is good and righteous. Um, and then this last one is self-deception. Scribes and Pharisees are hypocrites because they decorate the tombs of the prophets and it was their parents who killed the prophets. And then they say, oh, if we had lived back then, we would have never done that. Have you ever said that to yourself? How could they do that? I would never do something like that. How could you say that? I would never say something like that to you. You ever say that to somebody? Come on, be honest, come on. I said it. I would, how could you do that? How could you do that to me? I would never do something like that. Hypocrite, Jesus says. Hypocrite. You're acting on the stage. You're self-deceived. You know what we should start saying to ourselves? We are capable and guilty of every evil. That's true. You know, that's true. That's in the Bible. Jeremiah 17, the heart of man is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? You don't know how bad you are. I don't know how bad I am. And then James said, if, in James 2.10, he says, if you've offended God at one point, you are guilty of breaking all of the law. So we are capable and guilty of every single evil possible. Don't ever look at somebody and say, how could they do that? You could do it too. You know? We're like tea bags. You get in hot water, you show your true colors. You know what I'm saying? Put somebody in the corner. I would never do that. Get him in the corner. Put the pressure on. Put the heat on. Oh, I never... I, I didn't mean to say that, but you said it, though, didn't you? Came out of you. You ever do that? You ever go through some kind of pressure and some kind of difficulty, and stuff starts coming out your mouth? That you, wow, where'd that come from? <laughs> stuff starts going through your head. Where, how, how, how am I thinking? You start doing stuff. How on earth did I get like this? Because you're a sinful person. Sometimes you like to play victim. You're not a victim. Okay, you're a victim, but you're also a villain. And sometimes you prove that you're a villain when you get victimized. Somebody treats you wrong, and oh, the words start coming out your mouth, and they're four-letter, and it's not Lord and love. You know what I'm saying? You start saying stuff and thinking stuff and doing stuff and planning stuff that you never thought would ever go through your mind, but it's happening because you're also a villain as well as a victim. We're all equal on that regard. And Jesus has this question, this question that he asked us, he asked, the, he asked the scribes. He asked the Pharisees. He says, how will you escape being condemned, sentenced to hell? How are you going to escape? And of course, Jesus lets us know. Not only does he call us to humble humility, and not only does he call us to honesty, dealing honesty with sin, but Jesus calls us to harmony. Look at the last verses. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus left. Remember back in Luke, where Jesus said to his mother when she was looking for him, and his, his stepfather when he's looking for him, where were you, Jesus? He said, why were you looking for me? You knew I had to be in the temple. It's my father's house. But now he left the temple because of the sin, because of the unrepentance. He got up and left. He said that he was willing, that we're not willing. He says, for I tell you the truth, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that from last week? 
when Jesus came into, the, came into Jerusalem, they said, Hosanna. Oh, save, Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he says, you won't see me again. You won't have fellowship with me. You won't have communion with me. You won't have anything like that until you cry out like they cried out when I came here the first day. Said, oh, Lord, save me. I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm lost without you. I, I've got rebellion. I've got transgression. I've got iniquity. I've got perversion. I'm tired of acting. I'm tired of pretending that everything's okay. I'm tired of pretending that I'm all right. Your word says don't lie. I lied. Your word says don't commit adultery. I commit adultery. Your word says don't steal. I steal. You break one law, you're guilty of everything. I covet. That's what the law says, and I'm guilty of it. And here I am, Lord Jesus. You know, when, when, when he doubles, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember back in the Old Testament, Abraham, Abraham. Jacob, Jacob. Moses, Moses. Samuel, Samuel. It's a way of showing affection. It's a Hebrew idiom. That's how you show affection and love. You cry out their name, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It says in Luke that he cried, he wept over the city because they didn't know it was the time of his visitation. Jesus was coming. He was coming to redeem. And they were all caught up on the rules. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. Jesus, you're not acting right. You're not acting like a Messiah. We can't accept that. We can't accept all of this. And Jesus is crying on, over Jerusalem. And he says, I have longed, how often I long to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. To gather you to himself. To put you under the shelter of his wings. To nourish and cherish. Jesus desires you. He desires to gather you. He desires to bring you in. He desires you. But he says these people were not willing. They weren't willing to repent. They weren't willing to deal with sin. They thought they were okay. It's all right. I'm better than the next guy. But what about Jesus? You're not better than him. They weren't willing to compare themselves with the law, to compare themselves with the Lord and say, I am a sinner. I'm lost without Jesus. And come running. With blazes, come running to the cross and say, Jesus, here I am. He says, you won't see me until you say, blessed is he. Oh, praise the one who comes in the name of mercy, who comes in the name of grace, who comes in the name of slow to be angry, who comes in the name of covenant faithfulness and steadfast love, who comes in the name of forgiveness, who comes in the name of holiness. You won't see my face until you say, blessed is he. And by saying that, you are also saying, I need mercy. I need grace. I need you to be slow, to be angry with me. I need covenant faithfulness. I need a God who's willing to forgive me. When you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you're saying, I am a sinner. And I need the Savior. I need him. And Jesus says to you, does he not? He says, come to me. You're weary, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, you're guilty conscience. Don't turn off your guilty conscience. Take your guilty conscience to the cross of Jesus and say, wash me, wash me, make me clean. I don't understand everything. I know, but I understand I got guilt. I understand I got sin. I look at your word, I look at my life, and they don't measure up. I understand that. I don't have to understand all of the wonders of all of creation, but I need to understand that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and the Savior is Jesus. We're not willing to admit sin. We're not willing to quit sin. We're not willing to come to Him. You know, Jesus at one point said to Israel that she was a harlot. 
She was a whore because she turned her back on her God. Jesus is willing to forgive. Look at what it says in the prophet. Jesus says, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Have I any pleasure? He asks himself a question. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that they should turn from his way and live? Therefore, O house of Israel, repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your room. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die? It's the same question. What, why will you escape? How will you escape the sentence of hell? Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You say, how do you come? You come confessing sin. You come with brokenness. Say, I can't see God. You can't see air either, can you? But when you do like this, you can feel it. It's there, isn't it? You know, when you come to Jesus and pray to him and read his word, you're doing this. After a while, you're going to feel him. But we've got to come to him. Let's come to him in prayer. Our Father, in Christ's name, we come. We give thanks to you that Jesus stands ready, willing, and able to gather us to himself, to cherish us, to nourish us. But Lord, help us as a people, as your people, to be ruthless with our sin, to be ruthless with respect to repentance. That when we see sin in our hearts, that we would not try to sidestep or excuse or justify, but we'd own it, we'd claim it, and we'd bring it to Jesus and ask him to wash us. And Father, we're so thankful that Jesus calls us to come to him, and when we do, he will wash us. You have said in your words, you've made a promise and you can't lie. If we confess our sins, you are faithful, you are just, you will forgive our sins, you will purify us from all unrighteousness. You have committed yourself to those who claim their sin to wash them. Father, help us to come faithfully to, to you, to be humble, to be honest, and to be in harmony with your Savior. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.